Hey, Hannah. Hey, Kate. How are you? I am doing swell. How are you doing? I'm good. What do you have to drink today? Uh, today, I am repeating, I think, one of my previous drinks that I've mentioned on this podcast. Mm. Um, one of my favorite teas given to me by my dear friend, Kate. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, chocolate, chocolate coconut tea from Harney and Sons Ooh. With, with a little splash of milk. Just to cream it up. Mm. It's delicious. What yeah, do you have? That sounds good. I think I'm also repeating a previous drink. I have the Organifi Chocolate Gold mm. with a little bit of protein powder. That sounds great, too. Yeah. Delicious. Nice little happy medium between tea and hot cocoa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a little, a little uh, functional herbs in there. Exactly. Yeah. Good way to start the evening. <laughs> yeah. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Howdy from Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And, and today we're going to be talking about uh, an article that we came across about naloxone. So naloxone being a treatment for opioid overdose. So really interesting article from New England Journal of Medicine. Um, but quick like overview of what naloxone is. So like I said, it's, a, it's an emergency treatment for opioid overdose. So the way it works is... It enters the body and it outcompetes opioids at their little receptors that they attach to within the body. So naloxone has a much stronger affinity. It's like a stronger magnet, you know, toward these little receptors and it bumps the opioids out of the way, out of the receptors that naloxone then fills its spot and prevents the opioids from continuing to have their effect on the body. So super effective treatment. It's been proven to be really very safe. Um, even when administered to people who are not experiencing an overdose, there are really no um, documented side effects or um, you know poor outcomes uh, per se. I think the only thing I could find about like maybe something that would be a little risky is like an allergic reaction if you're allergic to it or something. Yeah, and it's like when you're considering like risks versus benefits, it's potentially saving someone's life versus likely no adverse effects right so this drug is really good to have like everyone for everyone to have on hand potentially right just in case yeah and actually the the world health organization recommends that anyone who has the chance of witnessing an overdose uh to have access to naloxone so that would mean i mean you can take that to you know mean whatever you really want it to mean but i i understand that to be you know, if you personally know somebody who is a drug user, you know, or potentially would have an overdose, like it'd be maybe a smart idea for you to have naloxone on hand mm-hmm. um, or for the, you know, those who use it to have it on hand. Yeah. Or maybe even if you know of um, opioid overdose deaths in your area or right. overdoses in your area, mm-hmm. just like having it on hand just to you know, just in case you come across someone or like even in our line of work as doctors, just just in case, I don't know. There's like a lot of different subgroups of people that probably could just benefit from just carrying it around. Right. Throw it in your like purse, in your pocket. A little disclaimer with all of this is like we both know that, you know, drug use, opioid use, and addiction is, it's a really complex disease. Um, and so that's not really what we're trying to address today. You know, we're not really talk, trying to talk about the addiction side of it all um because i mean while that's definitely the like the vital focus in reducing opioid use and addressing the opioid crisis um i think it's important to not neglect a way to save lives you know right so that's more kind of the focus of today just to be 
you know, just to be clear, a little disclaimer on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in past years, when it comes to um, having access to naloxone, this has been through a prescription. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, I wouldn't say it's like a difficult prescription um, to acquire per se, if that's the way you want to phrase that. <laughs> um, like most doctors, I think are very willing to prescribe it to somebody that they know uses opioids or maybe is prescribed opioids. Um, or has friends or, who... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but I think in the past, you know, couple of years, there's definitely been a push towards making naloxone, um, an over-the-counter medication. So making it accessible, um, to anyone in the same way that Advil can be purchased, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the idea behind that is to kind of reduce the, the stigma maybe associated with like asking your doctor for this kind of prescription or even just wanting to be better prepared for your surroundings. Right, exactly. And the person pr- providing the prescription, whether that's your doctor, your MP, PA, or anyone else who can provide you that prescription, like it's just an extra step. Mm-hmm. to get the naloxone right. when like sometimes it's hard to get access to a person who can provide you that prescription especially in potentially like lower socioeconomic areas it could be even harder um and so this just like eliminates that step and the person can just go to the pharmacy or Walgreens or CVS or anything like that purchase naloxone and feel safer better prepared mm-hmm. to hopefully save someone's life yeah yeah when it's something that is it's such an easy safe treatment for something that is you know so crushing you know like an overdose an overdose like that is that's that's death you know like that it's not just like a small reaction to something of you know overdoing an, an opioid like it's a serious thing it's like literally death is online yeah you know exactly and it's definitely worth it to try to save that person yeah, yeah absolutely it's like whatever you know moral complex like you're worried about when it comes to oh well the, you know there's addiction involved and like is it worth it it's like it's absolutely worth it to save somebody's life like oh 100%. yeah well because then they can especially then when they go to the er they can the er mm-hmm. can connect them with resources to yeah get them more help to recover from their addiction yeah hopefully. they can't recover from addiction if you don't save them right so yeah you know point blank yeah <laughs> um so yeah i think moving towards an over-the-counter option for naloxone i think would be wise in every facet agreed yeah yeah so this article mm-hmm. that we that we read um kind of an interesting approach it it outlined this comprehension study that was performed for naloxone. So this comprehension study was basically um, a, a group of people that they got together to read through the instructions that would be on the over-the-counter bottles for naloxone um, or the, you know, whatever container it's sold, you know, and... Uh, to see if the instructions that they have are clear and can be easy to use because one of the requirements for over-the-counter is uh, that it needs to, there needs to be evidence that consumers can safely and effectively use the product without guidance from a professional. So they need to be able to use the product the way it's supposed to be used without needing to talk to somebody on the phone, like talk to somebody on nine, like on 911 line or something like that. Right, well, and that's important because it's like, 
sometimes you have like seconds, mm-hmm. you know, as, yeah. as soon as you can administer the naloxone, you should. Right. So the, the study kind of just outlined how, um, how they assessed comprehension. Uh, so just a quick little overview of how they did that. Um, they tested two different, um, varieties, I guess, of naloxone. So it, there's Evzio, which is an auto injector, and then there's Narcan, which is a nasal spray. So those were the two that they looked at. Um, the steps involved where they created uh, labels for both the medications that would be used as uh, their over-the-counter demo. Um, and these labels, they went through like a bunch of iterations where they would create a label with you know, chunking and pictographs and white space and bolding and all sorts of different techniques to make something really easy to read and easy to understand. And then they would put it in front of somebody to review, like, you know, a third party resource, somebody who, you know, hadn't read it before, looked at it before, and they would give feedback. And they did many, many iterations of this until they came to the label that they decided they were going to use for each of those, both the FZO and the Narcan, um, in the comprehension study. So once they came up with the labels, they acquired some participants. Uh, The participants included, I believe it was 430 adults who were opioid users, 140 adults from general population, and 140 adolescents from the general population. Which I thought it was cool that they included adolescents in this because definitely those are individuals that could be administering naloxone. Yeah, they could be administering naloxone. They could, yeah, because they... Unfortunately, could have friends or family mm-hmm. members. Or parents, you know, yeah. something like that. Right, exactly. So I thought it was a very comprehensive study, it seemed mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Another uh, cool thing that they included with the participants is a third of the participants across the board, that means including opioid users in general population, both adults and adolescents, a third of those um, participants had limited health literacy. Mm-hmm. So meaning they don't necessarily have the best understanding of health, vocabulary, terminology, that kind of stuff, to really assess how how well the labels could be understood. Yeah, which I thought that was really great that they included that because, um, I don't know, you don't want to assume that everyone reading the labels probably knows about medicine right. and knows anything about medicine because there is a significant portion of the population which I think we talked about in a previous episode mm-hmm. um, a little bit it, that like doesn't really know much about health and right. healthcare and I think it's I think it's a much larger percentage of the population than than we would estimate yeah I agree I think it's probably pretty underreported right because um, there's definitely, you know, some shame associated with that, like not oh, yeah. understanding something. Like nobody wants to admit that they don't understand something or know something. And a lot of people maybe don't even know that they don't know things. You know what I mean? Right. Like if they've never been um, in a position where they need to understand something. You know, think about all the people who just neglect to go to the doctor, you know, so mm-hmm. they are never exposed to a lot of health literature. You know? Right. Yeah. Just even some basic things. Right. Uh, so for the, I guess the remainder of the comprehension study, uh, after they gathered all the participants, um, they had each participant take as much time as they needed to read the label until they felt comfortable with it. And then they came back in and asked them, um, how they would use the product if a friend, family member, somebody that they knew, um, was experiencing opioid overdose. So they asked them to just basically explain the steps, um, of using the product. And pretty much every step, like the way that they kind of broke it down was 
each step involved in administering the medication, like how how successful was each step in being remembered, you know? Mm-hmm. So pretty much every step had over a 90% success for, for the per, for the participants. It did seem like the, the one step that was most neglected was uh, calling 911. Yeah, that's what they said. <laughs> calling 911 was most neglected. And I think that's just from my inference of the article, this could be true or not, but it seems like people sometimes hesitate to call 911. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to get in trouble or they don't want whoever's, you know, suffering from the overdose to get in trouble. Um, But really, I I did go to EMT school Mm -hmm. several years ago, back in the day. And they always said, like, they are not cops. Like, they are just there to help. The doctors are just there to help. Like, that's why I always always tell my friends, be honest with your doctor because they just want to help you. Maybe... Yes, maybe some doctors are judgmental and will judge you based on what you say. That's really unfortunate. Um, And again, it's something we're hoping to change. Mm -hmm. But they, like, they typically, I don't think there's a lot of cases where they will bring in law enforcement and stuff. But, but like, if you do have a friend who overdosed and you did call 911, they would go to the doctor and then they would be referred to, um, like, an addiction help something uh rehab something like that right yeah it's and then that's a way more likely course of events than you know a criminal record or something like right that. exactly chances are you're not going to get a criminal record for that right and yeah. i i mean i definitely agree that there is some like fear associated with calling 911 yeah you know and that wasn't really something i understood until i was in a position where i needed to call 911 one time yeah and i was i was and i was working as a lifeguard like that's your job. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, there was, uh, the situation I was in was there was uh, a young lady who was experiencing a seizure on the pool deck and thankfully like everything was okay. She was having like a hypoglycemic episode. Um, and oh, she was, wow. she that was, was scary. Yeah. It was definitely scary to witness, but turned out like everything was okay. But like I saw, like I was witnessing it happening and my first move was I started running towards the phone to go call 911. Um, cause I didn't have my phone, like my cell phone on me. And this was actually, I was, I was a certified lifeguard, but I was working as like a, a swim coach at the time. So mm-hmm. I wasn't like on duty as a lifeguard. Um, so I wasn't, I don't think part of it was like, I wasn't in like lifeguard mode, you know, but yeah. I like sprinted to the phone and I was like halfway to running to the phone. And I was like, wait, should I call 911? And I like asked, like there was another coach there and I was like, should I, should I call 911? They're like, yes, Hannah, call 911. I'm like, yeah. duh, obviously. Yes. Okay. And yeah. so, you know, finished sprinting and called 911. So uh, definitely was, there was like a, a, an ounce of hesitancy there, you know, because it's yeah. like, wait, is this, is this an emergency? It's like, yes, it is. You know, yeah. and it, if you're considering if something is an emergency, like call 911, you know? So if somebody is unconscious and like you, you're administering a medication, well, such as naloxone, call 911. Yeah. And if someone needs naloxone, like what's going to happen is you're going to go up to them and be like, Hey, like what's going on? You might shake them. Mm-hmm. They're not going to wake up. They're going to be like, they're going to look like they're in maybe a deep sleep or right. like, dead they well hopefully they don't look like they're dead but just like a very like, yeah really low sleep respiratory and rate you can't wake them up right and so yeah if you find someone like that lying somewhere good idea to call 911 right and again with administering naloxone like if if you administer it and they aren't having an opioid overdose like yes there's definitely something else that needs to be addressed but there is there is very very minimal no documented risk right 
to administering this medication to somebody who's not experiencing opioid overdose. So better safe than sorry, per se. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the kind of the last thing that I just wanted to take note of was um, seeing that naloxone has increasingly become available over the counter across the nation um, over the past few years. It's definitely been seen in the progress of legislation. Uh, specifically in Texas, I do believe it is approved to be administered over the counter, um, but I just don't think that it is widely spread, so to say. Like mm-hmm. uh, from what I could find from like my research, is it looks like Walgreens definitely took a big initiative on that. So Walgreens, you know, that's great because Walgreens, that's everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. So Walgreens, it is available over the counter. Um, and I believe they partnered with CVS, but it didn't look like CVS was as, um, you know, involved with it. It seemed like they were more select locations, whereas Walgreens was like every location. Um, and then it seemed like just a few other, um, you know, self-elected pharmacies that wanted to participate. So I... I'm not sure kind of what that will look like in the future. I'm hoping that it continues to be something that is implemented in pharmacies across the nation um, as just something that's widely available. Yeah, and hopefully people just carry it in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and with more awareness, people more people will hopefully know what's going on if mm-hmm. they maybe come across someone who might be suffering from an opioid overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if you administer Narcan, you have to call 911 because Narcan, or Narcan, Naloxone, Narcan is the brand name. Right. Um, but if you administer the Naloxone, it's pretty, I'm pretty sure it's pretty short acting. Yeah. So it can, it can outcompete for those opioid receptors, but if it, if the, the person took too much and the Narcan, the naloxone isn't enough, mm-hmm. then they, they might need another dose. Right. Or so they might need, need to call 911. Right. So they, or they might need more help. And if you right. only have one dose on you, the one dose might last until EMS gets there. Great. Mm-hmm. Then they can take over. But if you don't then call 911, that's great that you helped them for the next, I don't I, know. I believe the article said 60 to 90 minutes. Yes. Okay. One Six, dose. 60 to 90 minutes. And then, but then after that, it's like, okay, well... They're right back where they were. Yeah. So. Because an overdose, you know, there's not, I mean, there's definitely a limit to like how much you can, you know, I guess overdose on in a way. Yeah. Or maybe like your tolerance. I don't really know how it works, but maybe if your tolerance is higher, you can Mm -hmm. take more and it takes more to overdose, but it's still a lot in your system. Yeah. Like once you've crossed that overdose threshold, like you could have crossed it by an inch or a mile, you know, and one dose of Narcan might might be okay if you overdose by an inch, yeah. but maybe not enough if you overdose by a mile. Right, right, right. You know? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think something we talked about in class not too long ago, um, this was something that kind of came up in discussion, was maybe thinking about who in society should be carrying naloxone mm-hmm. on their persons. You know, like does that like thinking about teachers or like professors maybe more so, more, more likely like a college professor or something. Like I'm not thinking there are as many you know, third graders <laughs> in an opioid crisis. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's definitely more of an adult crisis. So, like, college professors or police officers, you know, especially, I mean, especially universities because I think there are not 
not so much it's a problem of being overprescribed opioids, but definitely a setting where drugs are experimented with, you know, and things like that, maybe more so than in your general adult population. Mm-hmm. So I think it'd be worth it to have like campus police or professors or just educating college students on naloxone use and things like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like who in the public setting, in addition to just general population, like what maybe more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Administrative or authoritative positions in society, like who, who those people would be that would maybe like have naloxone on their body, like at all times. Right. Or even in like, if you're talking about college campuses, just like in social circles, like Mm -hmm. encouraging like social groups who might be more likely to experiment with different drugs to carry something like that or other treatments for overdose for like other drugs that people could potentially right because naloxone isn't going to be effective for something like cocaine right you know yeah so definitely something to consider yeah now again message that um, you know, I think we both preach as, you know, hugs, not drugs, but like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like being, being realistic about the fact that like drugs are experimented with, like that's right. not something that's not going to happen. Yeah. And you might know people who experiment with drugs and like, just, you just, I mean, maybe you don't, but like, you just want people to be safe and yeah. not, this is like, you know, especially people who are addicted, like addiction is it's not just like, oh, you're addicted. No, addiction is a disease. disease. Yeah. And there's like different brain pathways that are activated when you're addicted to something. Yeah. And it can turn you into a whole different person, um, Mm -hmm. which is just super, like, it's really sad. Um, But those people can get help and it is really hard to recover, but it's possible. Yeah. And I think just kind of going back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast is like the point of naloxone and our discussion on this is not it's not supposed to be admonishing towards people who are using opioids, whether that was because they were prescribed or experimented with or fell into it, whatever the case, that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is to, you know, really discuss something that could save lives. Yeah. And, and focus on, on the importance of that. Um, and not be, not try and get caught up in the, the moral argument of, drug usage right right we're about saving lives saving lives you know do no harm yeah exactly yeah well i think that's all we had for today on naloxone but we thought that article was interesting and kind of wanted to bring some more awareness to opioid crisis and Mm -hmm. maybe like something that everyday people could do to help yeah 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 i because before we really started talking about this uh when it came up in class a few weeks ago i had never considered going to Walgreens and purchasing naloxone to have in my car or something like that. Yeah. Well, I had, but I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. I mean, that was just not (laughs) something that was on my radar. Like, I was just like, oh, yeah, opioid crisis, heard of that, but like, yeah, what can I do about it other than not do drugs, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just, I'm just learning every day how how much more I need to be educated or continue to be educated on all sorts of things within field medicine, within social culture and everything. Public health. Yeah. Yeah. So there's just always so much more to learn and so much more to 
try and understand and, and gain other perspectives from. So yeah, just being open-minded to yeah learning more. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for listening. Cool. And have a great rest of your day. Catch you next time. Bye.